such an exhilarating feeling when you're whipping across that countryside going 40 kilometers an hour and firing that main gun at a target to your front or having multiple tanks all firing at the same time while you're going cross country is just amazing. Hi, I'm Captain Adam Morton with the Canadian Army Podcast. I can probably make a crayon drawing of a tank and post it on the Army Instagram or Facebook account, and I'll probably get a pile of likes. People love tanks, they're fascinated with them, and so am I. Here to talk to us about tanks is Lieutenant Colonel Darren Gray, Commanding Officer of the Lord Strathcona's Horse, Royal Canadians, a unit based in Edmonton. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Adam. It's uh, great to be here. So, you know, we post on social media, people love tanks, it always comes up in Army conversations. Why are tanks cool? Tanks are amazing. It's a beast of a weapon system. Uh, the troops love being employed on it. When you think of a form of military organization, you think of infantry and you think of tanks. And it's just such an amazing feeling operating on that system and providing that firepower downrange. Uh, it's just, just amazing. You know, a lot of people think a giant thing of metal with a big gun on top of it, that's a tank. And then, you know, army people are just like, no, that's a lot. Or, you know, what is a tank? <laughs> so a tank... You know, the tanks that we have are the Leopard 2 tanks. It's a tracked vehicle. It has 120 millimeter cannon, smoothbore cannon, and it's able to provide firepower, mobility, security to our forces on the ground. Often confused with a LAV, a light armored vehicle, which is wheeled base with, with eight wheels. For those with an untrained eye would see that as a tank, but typically tanks are much bigger and provide a lot more firepower to the battlefield. And there's a lot of variety of tanks as well. So you got what I would call, you know, your regular tank. It's just, like you said, tracks, big gun. Uh, can you explain kind of the different flavors of tank, how they're used? Like, how does that work? Sure. There's varying sizes of tanks as well. So you can have a lighter tank. So the Americans are using another version of a tank in a lighter capacity, more as an infantry support vehicle. Uh, they have a medium tank. So our Leopard 1 uh, was more of a medium tank, less heavy, but it still had a 105 millimeter cannon, as well as, you know, the overall protection for the crew. But the new Leopard 2 that we're using is more of a main battle tank, a heavier tank, 60 plus tons, and is able to provide 120 millimeter firepower. So varying roles in these tanks. The Americans also used Sheridan tanks uh, where they launched them out of aircraft with the Air Mobile Forces. We don't have those in the Canadian Forces inventory. However, we're primarily fixed on the, uh, on the Leopard 2 main battle tank. So what's their functional purpose on the battlefield? Like, obviously, big gun's good, but, uh, you know, what do they do and how do they integrate with the other pieces that are moving around there? So historically speaking, tanks were created in and around the First World War to support infantry in fighting through the trenches and no man's land. Canadian forces didn't have them at that particular time. Ours were developed in the Second World War. And often used in close cooperation with the infantry. We can cross open country relatively fast with the infantry following, and when you get to your objective, you destroy the, the large fixtures or other tanks on the objective and allow the infantry to move in and clear the remainder of the objective. In closed terrain, the infantry lead and provide that mutual support to the tanks because they're more at risk in closed terrain. So it's really a cooperative approach with tanks and infantry working very closely together often as part of a combat team. And what a combat team is, is a tank squadron and a squadron's 19 tanks with a supporting echelon. The infantry company is part of that combat team. And there are about 15 labs with 
about 100 soldiers or so, 125 soldiers, as well as an engineer troop to provide mobility and counter-mobility support, as well as a forward observation officer, a FU, incorporated into that combat team. And that's in itself is a cohesive team that can provide a lot of flexibility and strength and mutual support to each other while on the battlefield. So when you're kind of talking about that, I think back to like my infantry warrants course, and uh, we talk about weapons range bands. So what that is for people who may not know is how far can your gun shoot, right? And you have things like a rifle that maybe you can fire up to like 300, 400 meters. You got some things that maybe are shorter range, like anti-armor weapons. You have things that are maybe a little bit longer range, like a sniper rifle. And then medium longer range, a lav, maybe you can reach out to 2.43 kilometers. What about tanks? What what is their strength in terms of that? Absolutely. And it's definitely a part of that overall range band. Uh, the tanks can reach out and destroy another tank at about two and a half kilometers, and it can destroy a building or a non-tank, like a lighter skinned vehicle, at about four kilometers. So it adds to that range band construct, if you will, enabling a longer reach, a longer hit of firepower. And then in addition to that, in the combat team with the FUs or the FACs, the forward air controllers, they can strike targets even further in depth with artillery and uh, aircraft with close precision munitions. People might think having such powerful weapon systems, it would be something that you have more prevalent in the battlefield instead of infantry, which are just small, squishy people. Why not have giant metal guns everywhere? Like, why not more tanks? You know, having more tanks would be fantastic. But having the right number of tanks for the right number of crews and the right number of personnel is critical. So the important factor uh, on the battlefield is obviously the terrain you're on. So tanks don't want to operate alone unless you're in very open country. And infantry don't want to operate alone unless they're in very close country or built up areas. So I think that close cooperation is key and having the right balance of number of tanks to number of infantry and supporting vehicles is critical. And it allows that mutual support while providing additional firepower. You know, as tanks are advancing in close terrain, the infantry are outside of their vehicles and maneuvering behind the tank, using it as protection. And, you know, in the days of having a tank phone on the back of the tank, the infantry can actually provide the request for additional support and fire to an objective that the tankers may not see. So it's all about that, that collective approach to operations. It's critical. So your infantry are like a little bit more flexible, a little bit more mobile. They can go in places that giant armored vehicles can't. And, you know, infantry by default are fairly light. They can't carry really heavy weapons. They can't carry weapons. They can reach out three or four kilometers to do things. And then a tank is much larger, much heavier, much more protection, but has the capacity of providing like stabilized fire at great distances. It can destroy larger targets that infantry can't, you know, that kind of stuff. Absolutely. And, you know, the principles of armor, mobility, firepower, and protection are critical. Although the advancement technology on the modern battlefield can be concerning. There are additional pieces that we can incorporate that the Canadian Army is incorporating into future conflicts to be able to assist with with enemy drones and enemy precision munitions and such like that. So we are continuing to adapt our tactics, techniques, and procedures in order to account for the advancement technology. Um, but specifically, you talked about maneuverability of the tank, and that's one of the added benefits to the tank and a squadron is the flexibility to adapt on the fly to an unforecasted change in the mission. With a quick set of radio orders, you can turn that whole subunit, the squadron, on a 
dime, shift it to another access, and respond to a threat that may have just come up. So the ability to be able to provide those radio orders and turn that subunit is uh, is absolutely a game changer and provides that shock action that the Armored Corps strives to achieve. Can you speak a little bit also to the mobility in the sense of tracked vehicles versus wheeled vehicles? Like, why do tanks not have wheels? The track on a tank allows us to go a lot more places than a lav can go. Each one of the road wheels that's within that track has its own suspension. And when you're whipping across the countryside, it's actually very, very smooth. You wouldn't think it from looking at it, but everything is absorbed into the suspension and it can cover distances faster and go over some really rough terrain quite easily, unlike the lav with the wheeled chassis. It's interesting you say that because uh, labs are really bumpy. Like I definitely, as a driver, hit a fairly big bump and launched a little bit. And when that thing comes down, it's it's a rough ride. <laughs> like you it feel absolutely it. is. Yeah, you, you got a couple of people in the back, and they're getting jumbled around and everything. Like, and it seems like a pretty big benefit in the grand scheme. Of it's things. very smooth and such an exhilarating feeling when you're whipping across that countryside, going forty kilometers an hour, and firing that main gun at a target to your front or having multiple tanks all firing at the same time while you're going cross country is is just amazing. People often underappreciate also the challenge of cross country movement because, you know, especially if you've driven on roads a lot or like exclusively, it's not smooth driving across country. Even if it looks like a big open flat plane, there's a lot of bumps and stuff like that. And you can't just go 120 over a wide open flat train, you're going to bounce all over the place. So going even something like 60 on open terrain, mm-hmm. it's a challenge. And it's all part of the uh, the normal maneuver of tanks. So whether they're operating in a troop, which is four tanks, or you're operating in a half squadron or a squadron minus, which is about half of that squadron, or a full up squadron of 19 tanks, all lined in a straight line and advancing together if you're moving on to an objective is is just... It's just an amazing feeling and seeing the ability to be able to maneuver and then prosecute targets and then move to a position of exploitation where you can then provide mutual support to the infantry as they move on to that that objective and do the inner clearance. It just shows the merit of the combined arms approach. Yeah, and it's really cool working, uh, like I was with the strats in Afghanistan, and when you're doing operations together and you have like, let's call it all the toys, all the pieces together doing their own little part, it feels really well-rounded in the sense that the range band is actually a really interesting way of describing it is now you've got some longer range stuff. You have a lot more punch to anything you can do. You also have a lot more protection, things you can hide behind, and it's just increases that feeling of safety in that space when you're on combat operations and things are happening. And, you know, part of the training of preparing our forces to go abroad is working with all the different organizations and enablers that are part of that combat team. So as you mentioned, in Afghanistan, we had the route clearance package with the engineers proving the road in front of the convoys or the tanks. Often when that was too problematic, we moved the tanks to open terrain. We can put our own implements down and plow through a potential minefield or an area of concern, prove that route, allow the engineers to then flag that route, and then the remainder of the combat team can roll through. So it's all about the close coordination of training, enabling us to have safe execution of operations for force employment abroad. Maybe we should talk about what do you need to run a tank? What does a tank look like in terms of, you know, crew and equipment and things like that? Sure, absolutely. The tank consists of of four members per the crew. You've got a driver, you have a gunner, you have a loader, 
and then you have a crew commander. And the crew commander is ultimately in charge of that vehicle, but each person plays their critical role. And as I mentioned, they're part of a crew. They're part of a cohesive team. So if that tank breaks, everybody in the crew gets out in order to help repair that tank. We're supported by our maintainers and the echelon to be able to provide the resources, so the fuel and the ammunition, the 120 millimeter rounds that go into that tank, and all the resources you require in order to sustain that tank, whether it's POL, petroleum oils and lubricants, or rations for the crew, whatever it takes, all those components are built into that squadron uh, to be able to support that crew in that tank. You know, it's funny, I never actually knew the definition of POL before. It just just is what it is. It's POL, it's, you know, the stuff. Yeah. (laughs) That's funny. Um, Now, you're kind of talking about also working in, you know, a squadron or even a troop. How are those vehicles supported? Because you got, you got to worry about diesel, you got to worry about ammunition, and that doesn't last forever. And uh, it seems like it takes a lot of a lot of work to keep them running, you know, like it's a big machine and uh, cars break down. Oh, absolutely. Part of the things before we get into the sustainment of it is preventative maintenance. And that's done by the driver and the crew to ensure that everything is functioning properly, checking your oil levels, checking your coolant levels, so on and so forth, doing hot checks after you've uh, you've conducted operations for the day to make sure that everything is functioning normally, constantly inspecting the track to make sure it's all placed properly. So that's your internal task to the crew to make sure that there's no red flags, if you will, on the tank. But secondly, is the overall support for that tank and the remainder of the tanks in the tank squadron. So we have the armored echelon and the echelon is uh, commanded by the squadron sergeant major. So the master warrant officer, who is the command team partner of the major who is in charge of that squadron, the echelon is controlled by the sergeant major. And in that echelon has uh, FARS, forward air refueler. It also has trucks for ammunition. It has multiple vehicles with maintainers and parts, uh, minor parts. It has the armored recovery vehicle, the ARV, which is an even bigger tank in the sense that it can extract a tank when a tank gets stuck or it can pull the power pack on a tank, which is the the big back engine. Pull that, swap it out and put a new one in if you've got a faulty engine. It carries the implements, so the the dozer blade, uh, the mine plows, the mine rollers, all on a low bed. So should the tactical situation require those implements, that echelon has those parts. They can install them on the tanks for that particular operation. It has the rations for the crews. It has water and other resources as required to be able to support the movement of that tank. And essentially, that echelon can do a full-up resupply, as we say, bombs, beans, and bullets. It can do a full-up resupply of that squadron as a combat requirement should the operation you know, expend a lot of those resources. And then that echelon goes back to the supporting squadron, so the headquarters squadron, to get its resupply. And then that squadron gets resupplied from the service battalion. You know, it's all a logical process to be able to provide the resupply of all the supporting organizations. You know, it's interesting because we've been talking about how do we talk about logistics on the podcast because it's hard to connect that function to combat operations. Like, it all makes sense. You need stuff to do things. Mm -hmm. But it's a really good explanation of how all those pieces kind of connect together all the way back. So it's really interesting to hear somebody explain that in a good way, I guess. So what do we as the Army hold in terms of numbers and types of tanks? After Afghanistan, 
the Canadian Army and the CAF purchased the Leopard 2 family of vehicles. And as part of that Leopard 2 family of vehicles, there are 82 main battle tanks that were purchased, as well as, I believe, 12 armored recovery vehicles, as we talked about those earlier, as well as about 18 armored engineer vehicles. And those provide mobility and counter mobility support to tank squadrons providing additional breaching resources as required. Of those Leopard 2's main battle tanks that we have, uh, initially there was 42 A4s that were purchased, as well as 20 A4Ms and 20 A6Ms. And the M in those names stands for extra mine protection. So in the times of Afghanistan, when we were faced with a lot more uh, IEDs and improvised explosives, that mine protection was critical to Canadians, and we ensured that our operational tanks that we would be employing abroad have that extra capability. It's not saying that the A4s don't have the ability to go overseas and do operations. It just doesn't have the extra mine protection. So they're still operational tanks. We would typically use them more for, for training here because they're less heavy and less wear and tear on the engine. But all three have various differences in how they work. They're all common Leopard 2 chassis, and it's the turrets that are different in those three variants of tanks. Yeah, and that's something that's, I think, probably often underestimated is, you know, you drive your car, it gets wear and tear, it gets older, your seats get torn up or whatever, engine gets rattly or whatever, and tanks get probably pushed pretty hard in terms of equipment. You do a lot of crazy stuff with them, like driving through forests or whatever. And they probably need a little bit of TLC every now and then to keep them happy. We do what we can for regular maintenance following the inspection timelines of the tanks. And there are a lot of inspections that need to happen on a regular basis. But you're right. Over time, a lot of wear and tear on the vehicles. They need a full-up uh, maintenance cycle to be able to assist with ensuring their serviceability. So Canada has donated a bunch of tanks in support of the Ukraine war effort. Uh, what's going on with those? The tanks that Canada donated, we donated eight times A4 tanks and one armored recovery vehicle. Those were sent to Ukraine. We shipped them over there. We provided munitions, cruiser weapons, and a number of spare parts for those tanks, provided them to Ukraine. They have been used on Ukraine's front lines in fighting Russia. And we've seen them adapt their TTPs, their tactics, techniques, and procedures to provide additional protection to those vehicles and use them to counter the threats of Russia on their home terrain. Any interesting lessons learned come out of that that you can speak to? There's a lot of lessons learned, on, especially on how you maneuver your tanks as a combined arms team or a combat team. And the use of those tanks in open terrain, closed terrain, canalizing ground. Some of the lessons that we try to teach our young armored soldiers, as well as showing the impacts of, of not following the drills exactly the way that we've practiced them in the past. Yeah, it's really interesting how... This is one of those situations where I can just sit down on YouTube and watch a combined arms section attack from a drone's eye view because it's just up there and like learn how to do infantry stuff or armored stuff live and watch the consequences of the maneuvering or like, ooh, that looks like a mistake. Something bad might happen and then maybe something bad happens or not. And you can learn a little bit about how the battlefield works. And I don't think that's a thing that's really been easily available for just a random person at home to do before. So it's a little bit wild. With the advancement of technology and drones and UAS, folks have the ability to launch a UAS from, from any vehicle, if you will, and provide that eyes on an objective or eyes on a scenario and provide that additional assistance that you would never get just being on the ground. 
it changes the style and the maneuver of warfare. Yeah, absolutely. I would say that what's been happening in Ukraine has definitely maybe reinvigorated people's discussion on armored warfare a little bit more than in the past. Where do you see things going from here with regards to tanks and their role on the battlefield? No, that's a great point. In my humble opinion, tanks are absolutely required on a modern battlefield to the point that uh, the chief of defense staff was in Latvia visiting our enhanced forward presence battle group and indicated that we need to support that battle group by having a, uh, a main battle tank squadron as part of it. And recently, the Minister of National Defense announced that we were deploying one of the main battle tank squadrons to be able to be part of that enhanced forward presence battle group. So for the foreseeable future, we will have a tank squadron deployed as part of that battle group positioned in Latvia as part of NATO's deterrence operations and providing that additional support to uh, to Eastern Europe for multiple rotations. Uh, the first tank squadron is preparing for that deployment right now, and then additional tank squadrons will follow uh, every six months and on a yearly basis continued. That sounds like a pretty incredible opportunity also for new training options. I imagine that, you know, you don't have a lot of opportunities to drop some heavy armor, you know, halfway across the world and then be sending people down there to do stuff. It's a great opportunity to train with our allies. Uh, that enhanced Ford Press's battle group is made up of a number of partnered nations, and we will have a constant opportunity to train with our NATO allies in a combined arms context all forward deployed in the Latvia area. And there's often opportunities to do other collective tank training uh, with other allies that are there that might not be part of that battle group uh, because there are a number of battle groups in the Baltic nations there that are all being supported from other nations. So it's a great opportunity for our armored soldiers to be employed abroad uh, while doing their core skill set of being armored crews. Sounds like you got your work cut out for you. <laughs> Absolutely. But the troops are really looking forward to this opportunity uh, because the last time tanks were deployed was in Afghanistan, and that was a number of years ago. So this is, uh, this is a great opportunity for those crews. Yeah, you know, the, the conversation comes up a lot, uh, or, you know, people ask me, why do you want to do this? Like, why do you want to be deployed? You know, you're far away from your family, you're doing your thing. And it's, uh, I spent my whole life training to do a thing and it's like going to the olympics it's like yeah you're far away from your family and all that stuff but you are going through the ultimate life test to see if preparing to survive in a high intensity conflict zone works and that you learned all the things and you can do all the stuff you know we join to go abroad and do good things um, and to have this opportunity is critical. Don't get me wrong, providing support to Canadians for floods and fires uh, and other emergency requirements is also a very valuable skill that we can bring to the table. However, we do join to deploy and to provide additional security to those that can't have it on their own. So what a great opportunity for folks to deploy on their platforms and provide that, uh, that additional security. Well, I think we're doing it. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks very much, Adam, for, uh, for allowing me to be here. Yeah, I really appreciate it. It's been awesome. That was Lieutenant Colonel Darren Gray, Commanding Officer of the Lord Strathcona's Horse, and I'm Captain Adam Morton for the Canadian Army Podcast. Morton out. Oh.